It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. We're continuing our journey in Philippians in a series entitled Finding Joy in Our Journey. This is part six, and Pastor Rick is continuing his sermon from last week entitled How Low Will You Go? Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter two. We're looking at verses eight through eleven this morning. Here's Rick. I need to tell you about a guy by the name of Charles Foster. Charles Foster is a practicing veterinarian. He's also a lawyer, and he also teaches at Oxford in England. But in his book, Being a Beast, Foster confesses to a very unusual practice that he has in his life. There are times when he tries to live like a badger. A badger, literally one of those tunnel-dwelling, rodent and worm-eating mammals. On a friend's farm in England he has constructed this 15-foot burrow that he goes into and occasionally lives in. He will try to sleep during the day like a badger and then come out at night. For a big part of living like a badger during these seasons when he does it, he puts a blindfold over his eyes because badgers are have notoriously bad eyesight. And he gets down low and crawls around on his hands and knees, and literally he eats earthworms, because 85% of the diet of a badger is worms. Now, as strange and repugnant as that may sound, and by the way, I'm of no relationship to him, (laughs) in case you are wondering what I do with my free time, um, but I want you to think of something possibly that's even more strange and more repugnant than that. The God of all creation, who lives in absolute beauty and splendor and holiness, became a human being, lived here on earth, lived here in a fallen creation. And he had no escape for his whole life from it. And Jesus Christ did not come here as part of some nature experiment, but rather he came here out of love to rescue us from our sin. Paul's description in Philippians chapter 2 reveals Jesus going low. And he reveals that this incredible act of embracing humility was not just intended to save us, but to also save our relationships. Because if we do not choose like Jesus to embrace humility as Jesus did, then all of our relationships are doomed to be crushed by our arrogant pride, as we saw in verse 3, as we caught this attitude towards others of, what can you do for me? Or, you can't do anything for me. Embracing humility can powerfully transform a marriage as a spouse chooses to give this as a gift to the one they're married to. It can transform a parent and child relationship. 
It can, tra- it can change the relationship between friends, between those we work with at our jobs, even in the casual relationships with those that we meet and have some interaction with because they serve us at the bank, at, at restaurants, in the grocery stores. But most importantly, it will literally transform the most important relationships, human relationships we have, and that is right here among each other in this body of Christ. So, as we jump back into Philippians chapter 2, let's review for a moment what Paul has shown us so that we can continue to track with him. More than anybody else, what Paul has been telling us here is that the followers of Jesus have the potential to experience authentic joy in their relationships with each other. How does that happen? Again, let's review verse 1. We have every single one of us who are a follower of Christ have been given some wonderful benefits that make our relationship with Jesus this joyful thing uh, on a daily basis. We have been given divine support. We've been given unconditional love. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We have been given affection and sympathy. Then verse 2 challenges us to take those very benefits we've been given by God in Christ and give those away in our horizontal relationships that we live with here day by day on earth. And then verse 3 points out that we have a choice to make. We have a choice of either treating people from a posture of pride or to embrace humility. But to keep all of this that we've been working through with Paul just from being a mental exercise to which we agree to but are not changed by, Paul then went on to describe how Jesus himself modeled this embracing of humility And Paul says there were three stages that show us how low Jesus was willing to go. Now, we covered two of them last Sunday. In verse 6, we covered how Jesus modeled a letting go. Literally, he did not hang on to, he did not grasp tightly his rights as the Son of God. And the model there is that we too should be willing to let go of our rights. Which then led to verse 7 where Jesus modeled for us a change of role. He let go of his rights in order to embrace or take on the role of being a servant. So we talked about he did not come to earth to be served, but to serve. And likewise for us, if we will let go of our rights, we can then change role and take on being a servant to other people. Now, much to your dismay, last Sunday, that's where I abruptly stopped. But there's still a third stage because Paul is not finished. So we're going to jump back into Philippians 2, literally at verse 8. For now he continues to describe that model for humility that Jesus gives to us. But remember, as we jump back in now, those three stages are like train cars that are hitched together, linked together. The first allows us letting go to do the second, which is take on that role of servanthood, and then the first, letting go, and the second change of role allows us to do the third that we're now going to see in verse 8 of how Jesus furtherly went low to embrace humility. And Paul writes and says, And being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Note, Jesus' third act of humility, there was a yielding of control. And it's all summed up in that phrase, becoming obedient. 
Now let's take a moment and unpack that. Because there's a lot of skewed thinking, even among the followers of Jesus, about the concept of obedience. Let's kind of dig, drill down here for just a quick moment. First of all, in both the New Testament and the Old Testament, the words that are used to describe obedience really have the same basic meaning, and that is to respond to instructions. So the whole idea of obedience in both Old Testament and New Testament is what do I do when someone tells me what to do? So the word combines those two aspects. One, it's what I hear, and then what do I do with what I hear? So for example, that word is used in Acts chapter 12 and verse 13, where the housemaid Rhoda hears Peter knocking on the front door after miraculously being released from prison, and she goes and opens the door. So you hear you have Rhoda hearing and then acting on what she heard. Mark chapter 1, verse 27, the word is used also here, where unclean spirits come out of a man because Jesus verbally commanded them, be gone. Again, there, there you have obedience in action. The evil spirits heard and responded. Let me give you one more. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 27. The wind and the waves calmed down on the Sea of Galilee because Jesus rebuked them and told them to calm down. So here again, we've got the wind and waves hearing the verbal rebuke of Jesus and responding to those words. Which means, if you take that whole thing and flip-flop it, now you've got a good definition of disobedience. Disobedience is not responding to what I hear. So think about this. Those examples I just gave you, isn't it amazing that Jesus can verbally command and evil spirits obey and leave a person that they have been inside, wind and waves, the creation that we all are a part of, obey when they hear Jesus commanding them, but when he commands or instructs us, he may not give a positive he may not get a positive response. What's with that? Why does that happen? Hold your finger here in Philippians. We'll be back eventually. Let's take a little bit of a tour. Let's go back into the Old Testament and answer that question. What's with that? I want you to turn all the way back to Jeremiah chapter 11, please. We need to get at the root of this. Jeremiah chapter 11. Oh, I want to begin at verse 6. Let me start a little bit earlier than I was planning on. Jeremiah 11.6 says, And the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of the covenant and do them. By the way, did you see that right there? Hear, do. There you go. There's that connection there. Verse 7, For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt. So we talk, think, talking all the way back about the Exodus. Warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear. Why? Everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Wow. There you go. There's why when we're commanded or instructed, sometimes we don't do what we are told to do. The stubbornness of our evil heart. 
There's the problem. Every single person on earth has got this same heart problem. And it's a heart problem that typically thwarts responding to what God says. We just don't want to be told what to do. It's a heart problem. Now, fortunately for us, folks, fortunately for us, God understands this problem we have, and instead of just standing back and condemning us for it, He provides a solution. Are you still here in Jeremiah with me? Okay, turn west in your Bible, just two books, past Jeremiah and Lamentations to Ezekiel, and go to Ezekiel chapter 11. Because the Old Testament prophets saw in advance how God would provide a solution by changing us with something called the New Covenant. Ezekiel 11, starting at verse 19, describes it. He says, I, meaning God, will give them, my people, one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. And I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Now, you're hearing Ezekiel, just turn a little bit further to Ezekiel 36. Let's let's see how it states it again here. Yeah, Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 26. Again, here's the new covenant that will come one day being described by this Old Testament prophet. In verse 26 of Ezekiel 36, he says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, this is the amazing transformation that can be ours in Jesus Christ. This heart transformation. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 in, back in the New Testament describes this new covenant becoming real inside of us when it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old's passed away. Behold, the new has come. Which means that when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, he is no longer the same person he once used to be. He's a new creation, and as the New Covenant says, that includes my heart. Because of what my Heavenly Father has done for me in Jesus Christ, my heart now is set free to willingly respond to what God tells me to do. Suddenly, the reality of passages all through the New Testament become so much more vivid. For example, Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You see what the Bible is describing for us? is that my obedience flows out of my new nature. This new creation that I have been given in Jesus Christ. It comes from a realization that I've been deeply and passionately loved by Jesus who literally knows everything about me and still frankly likes me. Wow! And folks, this powerfully impacts in my obedience. 
of responding to instructions from my Heavenly Father. Because no longer am I responding to His instructions out of a fear of what's going to happen to me if I don't do it. Or out of a desire to gain God's approval by my behavior. Or out of a resentful attitude that I really don't have a choice. Or out of a need to look good to others. But rather, I obey from a changed heart that's been unconditionally loved. Now understand that that does not mean that obeying is automatic or easy. It is a battle every single day. Why? Well, remember the core meaning of obedience? To respond to instructions? So even though I've got a new heart, there are a multitude of voices around me trying to give me instructions. While we're still here on earth, there is still a part of my unredeemed flesh, every one of us has it, that's trying to tell me how to live, trying to give me instructions. The world around me voices its opinion every single day, trying to tell me how I should live, what I should do. And on top of that, we have Satan himself as our enemy. What does he do? He accuses. <laughs> he tempts. He deceives. But if we have that new heart, then there is one voice that we should want to hear that trumps all other voices. John chapter 10, verse 27 my sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and what do they do? Follow me. See, there's hearing and responding. Okay, so with all that in mind, now back to Philippians 8. And being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient. Bottom line, obedience is a control issue. And most of us want to stay in control, don't we? Yet Jesus says to each of us, I want to be the one in control of your life. Will you give it to me? Will you yield that to me? Now look at verse 8, because to, to keep us from thinking that this was somehow easy for Jesus, look at the control issues that verse 8 gives to us that Jesus had to wrestle with. Because, by the way, they're the same for us. What does verse 8 tell us? Again, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Look at the next phrase. To the point of death. Obedient to the point of death. One of the control issues is our goals. Or goals in just generally. Jesus struggled with this. We know that. Because fortunately, we are given an insider's look at what happened on his last night in the Garden of Gethsemane. We are told he agonized in prayer. And what was his prayer? Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. The goal. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But Jesus agonized over this. How true with us, isn't it? How many times our response, when we read something in the Scriptures and we hear the voice of God instructing us, our response is, oh, come on, God, 
I'll be obedient. I just don't want to do that. (laughs) And yet our loving Heavenly Father has got an agenda for us and there is a yielding of control in humility as I put my agenda aside and take up His. See, there's the first control issue, goals. But there's a second one in verse 8. Notice, he was not only obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, the second control issue is methods. Obedient to death on a cross. See, God the Father asked God the Son to die in a certain way, and it did not look heroic. It was not impressive to the masses, but rather from a human perspective, it looked shameful. It appeared to be a complete failure of everything that he'd lived 30-odd years of his life for. And likewise, there are times when God comes and asks us not just to obey what he wants, but also to obey in the way he wants us to do it. Now, kind of back, see if you can't back out of the details for a moment here, back to the bigger picture of these verses. Paul wants us to have joy in our relationships with one another. Embracing humility is the key to this. And the third part of embracing humility is to yield control. In other words, letting God instruct me, tell me how I am to interact with each other in my goals and in my methods. And that's why the New Testament is incredibly full of directions of goals and methods in our relationships with one another. That we're to love one another. We're to serve one another. We're to honor one another. We're to cover for one another in love. We're to forgive, we're to build up, we're to admonish, we're to care for, we're to be patient, we're to be kind, we're to submit, we're to encourage. You just keep going. Goals. But then there's methods that he gives to us that we, really? Yeah, so then when I hurt someone, I'm to humbly go and ask them to forgive me, please. Or when they've hurt me, I'm to humbly go and, to them and point it out. Really, Lord? You want me to do that? That way? Yeah, that way. How low did Jesus go? He chose a letting go of his rights, a change of roles, being a, becoming a servant, and a yielding of control, his obedience. Now, does embracing humility like that make you nervous? It should. It scares the living daylights out of me. And you know why? Because it honestly makes me wonder, if I do that, does that even make sense? Is that really worth it? I mean, the world's telling me, go in a totally different direction. So to help those of us this morning that honestly you have to admit, this kind of conversation from the scriptures makes you nervous. Notice what Paul does next. He wants us to keep perspective in all of this. So Paul finishes by pointing out the aftermath of humility. Where is all this going to take us? Again, it would be really easy to think that embracing humility or a lifestyle of humility is going to, is going to result in a loss of everything that I think is really important to me. And yet, look at verse 9 to verse 11, because instead, if we choose to go low, two wonderful things happen. First, there is the honor 
that's received. How does verse 9 begin? Therefore. So based on all of Jesus' conscious choice to humble himself, here's now what God did. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, because Jesus chose to go low and embrace humility, he was then exalted to the highest place possible. And there's going to come a time, as we're told right here, where every knee is going to bow before the Lord, and every tongue is going to confess him indeed as as Lord. And the knees that bow and the tongues that confess this will not just be his followers, will be even those who opposed him and rejected him. They will one day have to acknowledge who Jesus really is. Okay, I see, I understand that. That's what Jesus, God did for Jesus. What's the point for us? Again, hold your finger here in Philippians. We'll be back, but turn to Hebrews chapter 6, just for a quick second. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. For God is not unjust, So as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name, how? In serving the saints as you still do. Folks, the world may not be impressed at all when someone chooses to embrace humility and go low, but God is deeply impressed by it and will not forget it. What God the Father did with our Lord, there is a principle there that He will do for us. And the the Scriptures teach us that believers will be honored, will be rewarded according to how they've embraced humility. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 23 A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Luke chapter 4 and verse 11, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 5, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Some of your translations, lift you up, says he may exalt you at the proper time. Exalt. Ooh. That's exactly what he did for Jesus, isn't it? Exalted him. The honor is going to be received one day. God is impressed by those that embrace humility. But there's a second wonderful thing that occurs. Not only is honor received, look at the very end of verse 11. Honor is given. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, here we go, to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so think this through real carefully. When I choose 
to follow the example of Jesus Christ in my letting go, in that change of role, and in yielding control. That's where authentic harmony in my relationships with others is created. And it will powerfully affect my relationships when I give that to others. And when that authentic joy begins to permeate my relationships with other people, then those outside watching these relationships will see the supernatural character of what is happening around us because it's so different than what they see out in the world. And what will they do? They will be attracted. It is a compelling attraction to our Savior. And many of them are going to watch this stuff and say, I want in. And they come to a place of acknowledging Jesus Christ as their Savior as well. And when we find joy in our journey, through the process of going low and embracing humility in our relationships, it then brings glory to God our Father. So let me ask one last time. How low will you go? It's been a haunting question in my mind these weeks for me. You know what helped me? And I know you ladies are not probably particularly fond of sports illustrations, so please bear with me for a moment here. But in his 15-year career as a pro basketball player, Hall of Famer Rick Barry made a remarkable 89.9% of his shots from the free throw line. But Barry also had one of the weirdest free throws around. Because it was an underhanded shot called the granny shot. That's the way he'd throw the ball at the free throw line. But stats don't lie. And Barry's style worked better than the more familiar and more cool looking, you know, the traditional free throw. And Barry said himself, he said, from a physics standpoint, it's a much better way to shoot Less things can go wrong, less things you have to worry about repeating properly in order for it to be successful. Well, a few years ago, Discovery Magazine asked a physics professor to investigate if that was really true. So he did his research, he came back and he agreed. The 45-degree arc, uh, the natural backspin of the ball, increased the odds of the ball going into the net and relative to the more common method of of shooting a one-handed free throw. This is proven out in history, not just in Rick's life, but Wilt Chamberlain, um, a former NBA great who holds the record for the most points scored in one game. It was 100, by the way. Uh, He once tried it out. In that game um, where he scored 100 points, he tried every free throw using that granny shot. Now, up until that point, Chamberlain's free throw percentage was a pathetic 54%. That night... Again, when he scored his 100 points, he made 28 of 32 free throws using the granny method. So the chances are, for many players, shooting underhand would be a much better strategy. So why don't we see professional basketball players using this free throw style? Rick Barry proposes this. He says, today's players are too embarrassed or too proud or both. It looks silly. And most players would rather miss shots 
then look silly and score more. And that answers a lot for me. Do I care about looking silly in the eyes of this world or living for the audience of one? Keep my eyes on Jesus who modeled for me how low will I go? And that's why we need to back up and let Paul's words sink in. Have this attitude among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What's that attitude? A letting go, a change of role, a yielding of control. And so why don't we take a few moments right now and reflect on the choices each of us are making. It may be that the Lord's put in your mind a heart, a specific relationship, or it may be just something in general about your relationships that you need to begin to give a special gift to, and that is an embracing of humility. Just take a few moments and think about this. Reflect upon it. Pray about it. And I'll come back up in a second and close us in prayer. Father, as we're here before you as a body of believers, you know the struggle we have to listen to that one voice that should trump all others. And yet, Father, I pray that our response to these powerful verses in Philippians 2 would not be to try harder, but rather to pray and ask you to allow this new nature that you have given to us, this new creation that you've given to us as we have put our faith in Christ literally to mature and just blossom out from within us so that we can follow Jesus Christ in going low for one another. Father, you know how over these weeks it's been my prayer and so I just want to confess it again this morning to you. Lord, would you help me to let go of my rights, to embrace role of servants, and then to yield control of obedience. Father, I pray that that would be the signature characteristic of our relationships here among us at Rancho Baptist. Because ultimately, the issue is, it will give glory to God. And that's what we want more than anything else. To be the church that you literally gave your life for us to be. And so, Father, we thank you for all that we have in Christ. Thank you. And may then, Father, that just deeply impact what we give to one another in humble love. And Father, now as we continue in our worship, the ushers are going to come forward in just a moment and we're going to take the morning offering. And Lord, I pray that that would also be an act of worship as we give back to you in a symbolic way out of thankful, grateful hearts. Father, some of what you've so graciously given to us. And so, Father, accept these gifts, these offerings, these tithes. Uh, Again, Father, not because we're trying to buy you off, but because we're trying to buy in to seeing the kingdom of God expand in our generation and the gospel be more boldly and widely proclaimed. So, Father, accept these gifts that those things might occur. 
In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.